I'm excited about the closing message tonight in our series on covenant. These first three weeks, we just want to lay some foundation for you in the area of covenant. Then we're going into a series next week called Just Friends. So basically, the theological series is this one. We get into the practical next week. Next week, we're starting a series, Just Friends. So we're going to go from covenant into friendship. Covenant is spiritual. It is binding. It represents blood being shed. Friendship can be practical, but there are covenant friendships, covenant relationships. You know, the only thing that lasts in heaven is authentic covenant relationships. So if you married your, per your person for the, the way they look, and you don't have a soul-to-soul -soul connection with them, you won't recognize them in heaven. Friendship is what makes it in heaven. Anointed covenant friendship lasts throughout eternity. So if you marry somebody just because the lovemaking's good and you don't have a connection, amen, it won't last long anyways. But if you don't have a connection, a covenant, then it won't last in heaven. Covenant's important. Relationships are important. So we're going to start off next week with a message on friend of God. And then many of you have read my book, The Power of Agreement. I talk about soulmates, cellmates, and teammates. Well, I've never preached that in a series. So I'm going to spend the first week on soulmates, next week on teammates, the third week on cellmates. So we're going to get real practical into that. But as we close tonight, we've talked about the covenant. I want to close tonight with a message called The Principle of Partnership. And if you have your Bibles tonight, you'll need it on your phone or whatever. But you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Tonight I want to talk to you about Jonathan and David, but I want to release some stuff to you that I don't think you've ever heard before. Some of it you've heard before, some of it you haven't. But I want to talk to you about the power of a covenant relationship. You know, I've heard preachers refer to Jonathan as the uncrowned king. And I believe that is very fitting. So you need to understand the backdrop of this story. This is really six chapters and you don't have time to read all six, but you can go home and you can read 1 Samuel chapter 14 through 1 Samuel chapter 20, and that will cover everything I'm going to cover tonight. But here's what's going on. Israel is under attack. They're being persecuted. They've got pressure on them. They've got all kinds of uh, drama on them because their neighbor, the Philistines, have been bullying them. The Bible even says they don't even want to hold their head up because they're so ashamed and they're afraid to make eye contact with a Philistine because they are persecuting them very much like what we saw in the Gulf War in 93 with Kuwait and Iraq. Uh, we've seen that in our history many times with Germany and Poland. Uh, they're these sister or brotherly countries that sometimes have control over the smaller guy. But this is God's nation and it's under persecution and this is about a thousand years before Jesus is born. And there's a young man that's fed up with it. He's fed up with it. He's tired of the way his people are being treated. He's tired of the way the people of Israel are being treated. And there is what I would refer to as an anointing inside of him to make it right. His name is Jonathan. Some of you thought I was going to say David. But many of us forget the story of Jonathan. You need to understand the story of Jonathan before we get into what David did. Because, see, Jonathan oftentimes gets referred to as kind of this weak king's son, this prince that didn't really have any authority. He was kind of a weaker version. And then he noticed how awesome David was. And because he was godly and wimpy and humble, he just said, David, do your thing. But that's really not what's going on here. There's a dynamic in this story that many of us don't get. The first person to go after the Philistines was not King David. It was Jonathan. 
and he went after them with his armor bearer and he goes to the bottom of their mountain where they're camped out and he says, I want some of you. You can't handle me because I've got the Lord with me. And he says, in his own language, perhaps the Lord will save us and have our back. So he's at the bottom of, of this encampment and he tells them what he's going to do. They watch this dude climb up this mountain and with his sword he kills 20 of them and the rest of them run. So they had a victory over the Philistines. The first person to take it to them was Jonathan, King Saul's son. But what happened in the aftermath of this? Saul was a weak king. He was a weak leader. And he did not affirm the strength in his son. He did not affirm his son. He did not affirm the soldiers that backed up his son. He did not affirm his son. And he went back to leading like a weakling. And the Philistines took control over the people of Israel again. And when that happened, I believe with all of my heart that Jonathan said, what's the use? What's the use? He had an anointing. He had strength. He had a destiny. He was a prince. He said, what's the use? And so he shifts from that. You have this whole set up here for the story of Goliath. The next time... You have the story of Goliath. And there's a young man who was the son of a shepherd. Ruddy complexion. Crazy worshiper out in the field. Probably looked like Brian here. Maybe he had tattoos. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he's like the weird brother out worshiping. And his dad's ashamed of him. His mother conceived him in sin. But God had anointed him to be king. He wasn't familiar with Jonathan's story. Jonathan wasn't familiar with his story. But what happened was he goes and he volunteers to take on Goliath. And you know the story. If you ever grew up in church, you know that he defeats Goliath. And he cuts the head off of Goliath. He gets the five smooth stones. He pops him in the head. He cuts his head off. And he became instantly a kingdom king. Why? Because Goliath issued a challenge to David and it went something like this and he was mocking him. He said, listen, I'll fight you man to man. If you whip me, you can have everything. So the soon coming king not only defeated him, cut his head off, he's walking around with his head. This Philistine named Goliath. And at that point, it's interesting to me, Saul, King Saul, looks at David and says, Hey, who's your daddy? Read your Bible. That's what he says. Whose son are you? It didn't really matter. It's a weird question to me. This guy has just defeated your biggest enemy. This guy has just been the vessel of a miracle with God's power and you're asking him whose son he is. Of course, he's the son of Jesse. But he asked him that and in this moment, Jonathan sees 
What this young, anointed, future king does. And not only does he see what he did, he sees him gain victory. And he hears his voice. He hears what he said. And instantly it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Somebody say covenant. We talked about the promise of blessing. Now the principle of partnership. Covenant, again, as a reminder, is a binding agreement. God has made an everlasting covenant with us as if he could not be trusted. God has made a covenant with us. His word, the Bible, is the book of covenant. Everybody say book of covenant. His son, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. His bloodshed on the cross was the fulfillment of the old covenant. And in the new covenant, we as Christians are to be bound to him on earth as it is in heaven, but we're also bound to one another, which is uncomfortable sometimes because Christians don't oftentimes like each other. You got more gossiping from Christians to Christians than you do sinners to sinners. We don't model what Jesus looks like. We don't treat each other right. We need to model the attitude and the character of what Christianity is all about. We are bound to one another in love. And it says that his soul was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. See, sometimes when you gain a victory over the enemy, you can't go back to where you used to go. Sometimes when you gain a victory over the enemy, you can't go back there anymore. Once you cross the Jordan, there's no going back. Once you enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, you can't go back and live off welfare. There are certain things that happen in your life, and listen to me tonight. There are certain accomplishments, victories, monumental moments that if you seize them, there is no going back. There is no going back. And when you try to go back, you die. And so as soon as he gained the victory, the king, Saul, said, you got a new destiny. But in fact, Saul was thinking, what can I use this young man for, for my own benefit? And maybe, just maybe, Jonathan, being... Someone who loved God, who had an anointing, who could also fight and go to war. Perhaps Jonathan looked at David and said, that's a bad dude. And I want him on my side. So maybe it wasn't this wonderful binding covenant right away. It could have been fear. If you read the entire text, Jonathan could have thought, this guy is anointed by God. I don't want to mess with this guy, so I'm going to be friends with him. How many of you have ever been like that? You're in school, you want to be friends with the guy that can whip everybody. Because if somebody can whip you and you're friends with the guy that can whip everybody, you're good. Hey, come on. That's the way we Christians are. So if one person comes against us, we need to be together. We need to stand together. And so... 
He can't go back there anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Covenant means to cut, remember? Bereath in Hebrew, it means to cut. They would take an animal, they would split that joker in half. You have one half of the animal laying here, the other half of the animal laying here. You had blood in the middle. And they would walk through with their feet on the blood, professing their loyalty to one another. Covenant's a serious thing. Don't make one if you're not serious about it. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant. Church membership's supposed to be a covenant. Certain friendships are covenants. Not all of them. You got casual friends and all that. I'm not saying you got a covenant with everybody you hang with. But there are a few. And it's a covenant. It won't be broken over silly nonsense. It forgives. It stays. It supports even during times of failure. Covenant. And then it goes on to say this. Because he loved him as his own soul, they made this covenant and Jonathan took off the robe. This is key here. That was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword. Swords were expensive. Not everybody had swords back then. He gives him his robe. He gives him his sword. He gives him his belt. He gives him everything. Basically what he is saying is, I'm the prince, I'm going to be king, I'm the leader of this army, I'm the leader of this movement, but I recognize God's hand on you, and I love you so much, and I know God's hands on you, so it's no longer about me. It's about what I can do to elevate and bless you. It's the same thing Jesus Christ did for us. When the Bible says in Philippians, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. He came and he died on the cross. He came in the likeness of men. He took our punishment. He took our shame. He took all of our mess and said, you know what, I'm going to go to the cross so that they can be elevated with my father. It's exactly what he did for us. And you have a picture of what it means to be a Christ follower, what the birth that would take place a thousand years later in Bethlehem would mean to us all. And there's a picture of this. And so first, the place of partnership. The place of partnership. I love what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4. Jonathan would say, Show my family kindness and stand by me with your loyalty. That's why I say, Jonathan was in the midst of kingdom thinking. He loved David, absolutely. The Bible says it. They had a soul-to-soul connection. A covenant was made. But you don't have to have warm fuzzies to make a covenant. They didn't have warm fuzzies right away. We misunderstand the words love in the Hebrew. and It's sacrifice. And Jonathan said, I'm going to be in covenant with him because we believe the same things. We serve the same God. We've got the same fire. But he's the one God wants to use to lead it. So what can I do to protect, preserve, and elevate him in this season? Jonathan was a warrior, but he feared Goliath. I don't think he would have feared Goliath had he been affirmed after he killed 20 Philistines months maybe years before. But he wasn't affirmed. 
And I think when Goliath was out there taunting them, Jonathan just said, what's the use? I killed 20 of them a few years back, and my father didn't affirm it. He didn't continue it. So what's the use? The soul was knit. What does the word knit mean? It means to bind together. It's not just like with little thread. It means you're bound together. You are stuck like glue. You are connected. Judah used this word when speaking of Jacob's relationship to Benjamin. Benjamin gave Jacob's life purpose. And when you think about soul-to-soul friendships, you think about the word covenant, you think about what a church is, when you are connected with a church or you're in a marriage, you ought to give each other purpose. You ought to give your wife purpose. She ought to give you purpose. When you're connected with a church, you ought to be able to walk in your destiny because of your connection to that place. It's the place of partnership. Everybody say place of partnership. It's important where you partner, where you give, what you do, what you sow, what you say. These things are important. The place of partnership. When should you partner? After a victory and after a voice. Whenever God's done something, that's an opportunity to partner. God moves on your spirit in a church service could be a time to covenant. When you have dated that young man or young woman a while and you've moved from, you know, looking to loving and you heard a voice, it might be time to partner, amen? Might be time to put a ring on that finger you're wrapped around. It's time after a victory and after a voice. Jonathan heard the voice of a victor when David defeated Goliath. And there was something about that voice. And I want to tell you this. When God speaks to you, you'll know it. You say, Pastor Ronnie, is it audible? I preached a series on the voice of God. It can be. But for most people, it's a still, small impression in their soul that sounds like no other. And when it moves you, you know who it is. You know it's God saying, don't do that. Shut up. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't go with him. Don't go with her. Don't do that. Don't respond like that. Don't punch their lights out. It's the Holy Ghost. Number two, the permanence of partnership. Jonathan, as it said, loved David as his own soul. It's a partnership through love. Godly, self-giving, sacrificial love. Partnership through love. You have to love someone or something enough to serve it. Love doesn't exist without service in the kingdom of God. That kind of love, Ahab in the Hebrew, is a sacrificial service. Many of you that have children, you love your children that way. Some of you may not tonight, but you'll get back to it tomorrow. (laughs) But you sacrifice for your children. I know that I do. I would do a lot less if it wasn't for my wife. I'm sacrificing more than I want to in this stage of my life. And I'm hoping it brings a harvest later. Somebody say amen. The permanence of partnership. Partnership for life. It's a partnership for life. What did Jonathan and David have? And we'll get into this in the next couple of weeks. But what did they have that was so awesome? Why are we still talking about it thousands upon thousands of years later? They had a loyalty. 
an honesty, a transparent relationship. It was selfless. Jonathan, you don't see anywhere in the text where Jonathan, when he connects with David, is saying, David, I killed 20 Philistines too. You don't see Jonathan feeling insecure having to prove himself to David. It wasn't about what Jonathan did. Jonathan knew what he did. God honored what he did. He gave him the strength to do what he did. And David knew. There was no sense in trying to jockey and prove. If that's going on, you don't have a real friendship or covenant. And you have to ask yourself in a relationship, why are you always having to explain yourself? Because it's not a real relationship. If you're having to go, you know, I really don't mean it that way. I, 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 don't, I didn't mean to say it that way. If they knew your heart and you had a soul-to-soul connection, you wouldn't have to do that. But you're insecure because you don't have that authentic relationship. And you're not going to have that with everybody. But when you're in covenant, it means you're honest, open, transparent, and you understand the motives of the other person. You know their heart. So even if they have a bad day, you won't judge them because you know what's inside of them. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's not just a partnership for life. It's a partnership that transcends generations. This covenant was supposed to last from generation to generation, and Jonathan was smart enough to understand that. Once he knew David had been anointed to be king, Jonathan made a covenant with him. I believe with all of my heart it wasn't to cover Jonathan's backside. I believe there was something in Jonathan that knew he was going to die before his time. And Jonathan was thinking about the kingdom, and so he recognized David was going to be king at a young age. And he knew, I think he had a sense, that he was going to leave early, that he was going to die in a battle. And so he recognized David, and I think Jonathan was smart enough to say, let's, let's form a covenant and a love relationship so my ancestors will be taken care of. Because in that culture, once the king stepped into the palace and became king, every person that was a part of the previous lineage was murdered and put to death. So there'd be no heir to the throne. So, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. But he recognized David was supposed to be king. But history and tradition would change. Why? Because of a covenant. Covenant changes tradition. Covenant changes routine. Covenant changes ritual. Relationships matter. You know, I've had people say this about me, and I'm good with it. They said it about my dad, now they say it about me, and I'm cool with it. They said, Ronnie, you're too loyal. And I had somebody say, you know, the great thing about your dad is he's loyal. The bad thing about your dad is he's loyal, but I'll take that. If that's, if that's what we're talking about when I stand on the beam of seat in front of Jesus Christ is that I was too loyal and too forgiving, I'm cool with that. Because there's a lot of other stuff from my past we can talk about. And I'm not worried about being too loyal. But I'm telling you, if, if someone had my back in a season when not many did, I don't forget that. I don't. To a fault. And I believe that Jesus is the same way with us. He made a covenant with us. And we are now joint heirs with him. We are sons and daughters. And because of that, he's not going to abandon us like a ring slipping off our finger. 
He's not just going to stop loving us because of one mistake. Now, he doesn't want you to have the mindset you're just going to live how you want. You know, he, if you have that mindset, you're not, you're not in covenant with him. You don't know his heart. But if you're in covenant with him and you know his heart and he knows your heart and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then he's not going to toss you aside when you mess it up, when you wander. Why? Because you have a covenant. Somebody say covenant. Transparency, loyalty, honesty. And it's a partnership that transcends through generations. One of my favorite stories, and I won't have time to go through all of it. When you fast forward to the second chapter of Samuel, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, really the whole chapter, you realize that Jonathan, David's best friend, has a son named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth means lame, crippled. And you realize that when Jonathan is killed in battle, the nanny is running with Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son drops him, fractures his legs, and he is crippled. Why was she running with him? Because what did I tell you about the tradition? Supposed to be killed. So the next time you hear about this young guy, he's in a place called Lodabar, which means the dry place. He is living with a, play, with a man named Mashur in a dry place. How many of you have ever been in a dry place in slavery living in condemnation, all of us. But then it says, and I love this, I love this Hebrew word, you can trace it back. But one day, and this is what I believe happened. I believe one day, David, now reigning as king, on top of the world, before he would have his own faults and struggles, he's reigning supremely. As king, everything's going good. He's got everything. He's the man. And I think one day he was walking by the animal sacrifices. And I think he saw that blood. And he remembered his covenant with Jonathan. And he looks and he says, Is there anyone at the house of Saul that I can show Kessid favor to? Left. And the servant says, yeah, there's this guy in Lodabar, the dry place, living in slavery. He's crippled. His name's Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son. David said, bring him here. And he goes on to say to Mephibosheth, because Mephibosheth says, what do you want with a dead dog like me? That's the way we come to God. We don't feel like we're worthy. We feel like we're a dead dog. When he's just saying, hey, let's hang out together. Come eat with me. Come dine with me at my table. But because of what we've done or where we've been or things that weren't even our fault, we said, oh, we're a, what you want to mess with a dead dog like me for, God? He said, no, come eat with me. Come dine with me. Come hang with me. And so what happens here, and this is what it says, verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, the word Ziba means no progress, by the way, According to all that my Lord, the king, has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, says the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Do you realize that the covenant that Jonathan made with David years before preserved a generation, 
preserved a family, preserved a legacy, all because of a covenant. He should have been dead, but he became like one of the king's sons. He became like one of the king's sons. And everybody who hung with this cripple, everybody from the village, including Ziba and Meshur, everybody, it says, reigned there with him. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has done for us. We're in Lodabar making no progress, living in slavery, and we get a call from the king saying, you're in the dry place, you're crippled, you were dropped, somebody did something, somebody said something, it wasn't fair, but guess what? I'm calling you up to my house, and I'm asking you to sit at my table, and I'm going to prosper you, I'm going to bless you, and everybody connected with you is getting blessed. But I don't deserve it. I'm a dead dog. I'm going to bless you anyways. That's the God we serve. That's who he is. And that's what he does. You just have to embrace him and get the religion out of your mind that hinders you. Finally, the price of commitment. The price of commitment. You know, if you're going to be in covenant or in partnership, the price of partnership, if you're going to be in covenant with someone, it means you have to Know when it's your time to lead and when it's your time to back off. When it's your time to speak and when it's not your time to speak. There is a price for partnership. You can't always be right. And you have to recognize the big picture in every situation. What's the big picture? If you understand what God's doing, and the only way you'll understand what God's doing is to be intimate with God. When you understand what God's doing and it's no longer about you, then you'll fit right into the equation and it will be a blessing to your family, to your children's children. But there is a price. I want to challenge you in the area of covenant and partnership. One, don't partner too soon. How many of you have done that before? You're trying to, and I'll get into this in the next few weeks, but you're trying to make a cellmate a soulmate or a teammate a soulmate, and they're not. They're just there for a season. Don't partner with people too soon. But once you're in covenant, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember how he paid the price for you. And remember Jonathan and David. And understand that no matter what you were entitled to on this earth, in God's economy, we're all the same because of what he did. We're sons and daughters. I'm going to have you stand on your feet tonight. I want to pray for you. And have Brian just play a little bit. We'll worship. But if you would, just bow your head with me, and I want to pray for you tonight. Some of you have been wounded by relationships, past marriages, relationship, whatever it may be. Some of you are wounded tonight. You're hurting. I want you to give Jesus that hurt. I want you to let God heal you tonight. I'm not going to put you through a 12-step process. I just want you to have some intimacy with God. Just say, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I forgive them for what they've done to me, what they're doing to me right now. Lord, I forgive them. Holy Spirit, come. Transform my mind, my thinking. Lord, I want to have your heart. I want to see things the way you see them. And I just want you to confess, and I'm going to confess it with you because we all need to do this regularly. Let's just say together, it's not about me. It's not about me. 
And so, Lord, if I need to give my robe, my position, what I think I've earned or what I think I'm owed, if I have to give that away, Lord, in order to be intimate with you and position my family for destiny in your kingdom, I'll do it. Because it's not about me. So, Lord, we know that the uncrowned King Jonathan is a picture of you, the one that wore the crown of thorns. And, Lord, we're so thankful for that tonight. So, Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, Lord, I pray they would just say, Lord, they would just pray with me. Lord, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you pray that prayer, I'd love for you to tell me before you leave tonight. But for those of you who've been hurt by relationships, you cannot carry past baggage into future covenants. So no matter whose fault it was, you've got to forgive and let go. Own your part of it if you played a part in it. Forgive yourself, forgive them, and now move on in the kingdom and allow God to restore your life. Lord, do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Heal us, fill us, use us, Lord. Keep us focused on the kingdom. Lord, keep us focused on our one because our one might be a David. Our one might be a Jonathan. Lord, we don't know. May we never overlook potential in people. Let us worship together for just a few minutes tonight.